Today, we're talking to Wayne from TPA Digital about the best practices for running ads and Ryan Reynolds. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. But you've got the knowledge that I don't have in marketing. So your podcast is about advertising and marketing. You talk to different people. What's going on in your world? We've got a lot of, so the premise here is we've a lot of founders, a lot of technical people who like to understand different parts of the business because they're growing in their career. So I like to bring on different perspectives like you being in advertising to hear about what's going on over there. Yeah, I think um, so much and so little in a way. You know, I think just in general, given what's happened with economies around the world, advertising spend has to work harder than ever before. So those sorts of glory days of run one big TV ad and sign up, you're done for the year, has really changed. It's become much more ROI-focused. Um, and obviously, you know, with consumers using digital more and more, which, you know, I think for savvy people, we sort of take for granted, but some brands are still figuring out, you know, how do they approach digital advertising versus TV and outdoor? So you've kind of got, you know, has to work harder. Digital is growing because consumer eyeballs are there. And then within digital itself, it's... Uh, you know, it's uh, the likes of Google and Facebook obviously got to this huge size that they are. Kind of other companies now are chipping away at that, which is interesting. Um, you've also got things like regulation is becoming more prevalent, uh, particularly in Europe around how user data is used. And then the rise of new new media channels. So, you know, your TV back in the day was this huge box you could barely lift up. And now it's connected to the internet and you've got apps and content being streamed all the time. And the advertising experience there is different. So yeah, there's just uh, tons to keep you busy if you work in the ad industry, that's for sure. For founders that are you know trying to get their company growing, small, under 10 people, what should they be thinking about in regards to advertising? Yeah, I think it depends on the type of company that it is, but you basically want to follow the cliched kind of right place, right time, right message. And so you've got to understand where do you think your prospective audience is? So if you're like, you know, if you are the CTO at a sneaker brand, Instagram is probably a good place for people are interested in sneakers. But if you're the CTO or say FinTech, then maybe it's, you know, news publishers like the FT, The Economist, you really got to think about where is the audience uh, and that's an art in itself. And then once you sort of understand that, what do you want to tell them that's going to make them interested in what you do? And so, uh, yeah, trying to align with that based on the company that you are, the audience you want to kind of win over for your product. Uh, that's sort of the, sort of the art and science of advertising really. And then, so they, the professionals are going through this process of testing, the audience, validating assumptions, testing messages, things like that. It's just this recurring, it's not just this one thing, we buy an ad, we put it on the TV, we're done for the year. It's this never-ending process of testing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's lots of sort of marketing theorists who might disagree with what I'm about to say, but in general, you have two sort of strands of advertising. You have what you'd call brand advertising, and that is just you want people to remember you. So that's where the likes of Coca-Cola, Colgate, Pampers, you know, the advertising they do is mainly recall based. And that's because 
you buy their product in store. And then the second strand of advertising is more of a response driven. So that's where the advertising has more of a call to action. And typically online has sort of definitely more been led by response because you can click on the ad or you can go to a search engine and type in what you just saw um, or go find them directly. And in the response driven world, it's way more iterative. So as you say, it really is test and learn. The best brands in the world are testing and learning you know, hundreds of variables kind of on a week, week to month basis. On the brand advertising side, it still follows quite a classic process, as in you spend time planning your campaign around a big product launch at Christmas or something, and then you go and work with your media partners. So like maybe Snapchat or Instagram, like what cool things can you do with them? Uh, and then you run the campaign and get results later. So there's sort of these two strands, but in general, the more iterative way and optimizing and learning and testing, you know, machine learning is becoming a really big sort of theme within our industry. That's becoming a bit more dominant these days. And that's mainly because the ad spend's been tasked to work much harder than ever before. What does that actually look like in everyday running ads, the machine learning? Yeah, you can, there's a, there's a multitude of ways, but lots of buying platforms. So Facebook, for example, Google search, they have inbuilt machine learning. So if you think about on Facebook, you know, how, how many people on Facebook these days, billion, like, you know, probably billion. And there's, you know, multiple different ways you can target those users. That is too much for one human to really break down all those variables and understand which ad to serve and when and also what price to buy it. So you have platforms like Facebook, which will have algorithms within them. You also have, which has been my area of specialism throughout my career, something called programmatic. And that's kind of the, the data and technology that sits behind advertising. And there's almost this sort of newish industry of third-party machine learning companies, and we call them custom algorithms. And similarly, you know, every single ad well, not every, but if you went to say ESPN and you saw a banner ad, that ad has 200 plus variables attached to it. So the time of day, the device you're on, um, the operating system, how many ads have you seen before from the advertiser, list goes on and on. To value that impression in one person's brain is absolutely impossible. <laughs> and so machine learning basically can crunch all that data and start to work out where patterns are occurring, where a number of variables kind of line up that work for campaigns. And so yeah, there's, a, there's a bunch of companies, as you know, as I say, it's inbuilt into some platforms. There's also third party who specialize in this. And I think it's definitely the way the world is going because, you know, if I'm running a campaign, I have to sleep. I have a bad mood sometimes. I can't make the best decisions. But if you can train machine learning in a specific way, it can be. It can definitely be more for more performant for advertisers. So programmatic advertising, the way you define it, it's basically just using these this iterative approach and buying ads. When I go running out on Facebook, we market our clips, right? So we'll take clips from the episode. We'll target it at people that are CTOs that like marketing, and then your clip will show up to them. Uh, and and we do that, and then we do some stuff on LinkedIn and Instagram, and it's different. We edit the video differently for different purposes. Like for YouTube, we edit it differently to be more 
uh, like fun and interesting than the one we put on LinkedIn, which is like mm. a slightly more professional version of it. So just the act of buying these ads for these specific call to actions for ours is listen to the episode, subscribe to the show. That's all considered programmatic advertising. I, I, I was. You would say <laughs> the, it, yeah. <laughs> I only say that just because the term is so contentious. It is really boring. You know, you know, it's like someone wants to call it something, someone wants to call it something else. But yeah, I always see like data and technology in ab- to, to do advertising. That's essentially programmatic. And you know, what you've been doing is programmatic. It's just not always termed that way. And that's the main type of advertising your company runs for its clients? Yeah, so we don't, um, we don't actually run c- campaigns for clients. We advise on them. So okay. one of the things we sort of, when we set out six and a half years ago, a lot of the advice that has been provided to advertisers was attached to spending money. And you just sort of think, well, that's a somewhat of a conflict of interest. Like how can you trust the advice you're being given if it's like, oh, I spend more money with Facebook or with Google or whatever it might be. And so we're a, we're a pure consultancy. We don't attach our, the way that we make money to ad spend, we give advice. Ultimately, you know, like anything, you have to, hopefully the advice you give returns for them in some way. But we sort of really trade off being impartial and the, and the value behind that. I agree with that. You know, I get emails every day from Google or Facebook saying, hey, our ad specialist will jump on a call and tell you how you can make money with this. And I was like, I bet you they can. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel bad because sometimes, I'm sure it, I'm sure it works, you know. I'm, I'm sure, sure it does, I trust yeah. <laughs> but you're like, well... If I was getting someone to, I don't know, um, advise me on buying a house, I'd probably look for somebody who's not, you know, who's going to try and save me money, not spend it all, <laughs> as much as I can. So, uh, yeah, you, you, yeah, I, I think impartiality is important if you're making some, some pretty high stake decisions. We do a little bit of that. So we build, we have our podcast and that has advertisers. And then we make like 15 other shows for other companies. They'll pay us to make them shows. And so we have a whole production team for each show. Some of those shows want us to run sponsored clips like we run for ours. And so when they started asking for that so that they can get more subscribers and grow their show, they said, hey, we follow Modern CTO. We see you guys running ads, but you don't offer that as a service to us. And so I said, okay, well, we started offering it last year. And the first thing that we found is that, to your point, we have a very clear separation. We say, okay, this dollar amount is how much you're paying us for our time to do revisions, et cetera. Those campaigns, test them, all of that is in this dollar amount. And then this dollar amount is your ad spend. And we spend it directly through your ad account. So you see every dollar, you don't pay it to us. And then as your ad spend goes up, your fee stays the same. Uh, we haven't had anybody push it past $25,000. So we just see it as the amount of time and effort it is to test the different creative and exchange the ads. Obviously, if they went over $25,000 a month type deal, we would want to do more tests and more things. So we tell people, yeah, you know, from $1,000, $25,000, that price is not going to change for us to run your ads. Because we found out, like when we first started selling it, people were all, they were asking us in the sales process, you know, prove that you spend this. And we just learned really quick that they just need to be completely separate. So I find it fascinating that you've made your entire business on keeping it separate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely get asked from time to time if we can run campaigns for clients, um, but we just don't. We just decided not to. And it's amazing to hear, by the way, that, you know, the other shows or small businesses see advertising as a way to grow 
followers. Like, you know, one of the big things in the advertising industry has tried to sort of nail in the past sort of you know, three to five years is like advertising for growth. I think historically, a lot of companies thought advertising was just a cost. You just, they just kind of have to do it because everyone's doing it. But actually, if you've got a good understanding of data, you good understanding on like, is it working? Then you can actually prove that spending this much money is going to return X. So why don't you do it? And uh, I think with digital, that's just kind of democratize that for everyone. You know, my, my grandma, she knits uh, dolls in her spare time. She could, if she had the, <laughs> she could be bothered, uh, set up a Facebook ad account and start to market them and link out to eBay, whatever it might be. Um, that's pretty incredible. You know, for small businesses, they have an opportunity to grow through advertising. It's not just to, you know, the Procter & Gamble's or the Nikes or the Coca-Cola's of the world. The ad industry kind of is for everybody. If you give your grandma arthritis, <laughs> by getting too many orders, shame on you. I imagine, uh, I imagine she'd be great at like ad copy testing. She right? would love it. <laughs> yeah. She just knits the ad like right onto the thing. <laughs> so when people are setting up advertising budgets at their company for the first time, how do they do that? A percentage of gross revenue? What do they look at? Yeah, the, the rule of thumb that kind of large companies use is 10% of revenue goes back into advertising. Very broad rule of thumb that's been established over years. If you are a, a challenger into a new category, that might be more like 30 to 40%. So we saw that specifically in, um, for example, delivery food-based apps spent a lot of money in advertising to acquire users same with like the taxi services same with the deliver to home mattress industry they spent almost 50 percent of their revenues back into advertising but if you're a smaller business and you're kind of just treading the water i really take the test and learn mindset you know i as a small business owner myself i know that sort of the value of money on cash flow you don't necessarily have the opportunity just to sink it all into advertising and fingers crossed that's going to return for you so you can take steps and just be, you know, things like Google, Facebook, YouTube, programmatic to some extent, you don't have to have minimum budgets. You don't have to commit a certain amount to a deal. You can test and learn. So yeah, there's, there's three schools of thought. One is as much as you can to grow aggressively as you can. Uh, the second is sort of 10% is a sort of standard concept and then test and learn. I see how you go. Uh, it's a bit dependent on the appetite and objectives for growth, really. That's interesting. We're at the point, we have about 20 people at the company, and we're at the point where we're expanding and getting a little bit more bold about our spend. We found a ton of traction on LinkedIn and through cold email. And so ramping those up has been something that well, we're currently in the process of it. It's like we have our current version of it. It's like, can we double that? And then from there, do we triple that? So breaking it into managed like pieces has allowed us to figure out each stage and do it slowly. But you know, these tools aren't cheap too. Like the tools yeah. and I and I'm imagining the way I'm thinking about this too is, you know, the cold email tools, the LinkedIn tools, the all of those, those are all under our advertising budget. Is that normal for you? Yeah. 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 yeah it goes against ad spend. And you know, one of the ways, you know, you see so big brands plan their budgets is looking at the size of the target customer. 
And so, you know, you're always going to have a low hanging fruit of customer who is very high propensity to want to use you. That comes at a certain cost. And then as you start to extend that out, it's probably going to cost a bit more to, to get those audiences because uh, they're less likely to you know, be aware of you, uh, consider you or want to use your product. And so there's that's the 10% rule kind of considers how big the market size is, what share of that market you need to have um, to be competitive. So, yeah, that's you know, for us one of the things that we find with, you know, when we first started, our target audience for our offering was advertisers kind of realized that is a very broad uh, sort of category. And then we started to do some audience work last year. And we decided that we actually have a specific profile of customer who would work with us. And it, we call them a global brave change maker. So that their remit tends to be a global advertiser. They think brands. And then the personality within the brand is somebody who actually wants to elicit change. They really, and they, they can go internally and create change. You find with some companies and some people at companies, they just don't fit that profile. So, and by, by doing that audience exercise to work out, you know, what does our target customer look like? It really helped us to focus on like our outreach. So some cold email. We create specific content on things that we think that audience would care about. And then, yeah, just make your time more efficient as opposed to before it was um, anyone who'd want to listen. And the reality of that is, you know, as much as I think our services is relevant to everyone in the world who should be working with us, um, the reality is there's probably more of a sub, a curated sub, sub segment of those who should. This would be a good time to give you a, a free shout out here. What's your website? Uh, if you go to tpa-digital.com, uh, you can find everything about us there. And what does TPA stand for? That's a good question. It doesn't actually stand for anything now. It now. used to. So <laughs> we actually, there's a bit of a brand story to this. We actually started life as the programmatic advisory. You know, the company name did what you think it would do. And we started to realize that actually our services were spanning beyond programmatic. So into things like data strategy, analytics, uh, search engine marketing. And we realized that programmatic was kind of holding us back in a way. So we didn't want to lose the heritage of what we, st what we stood for, like the impartiality I spoke about earlier. Um, so we changed the TPA, which is just a three letters that were organized that way and digital, because that's, you know, we're focused on digital marketing. When I saw it, it's the airport code for where I'm from, Tampa. <laughs> Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the, you take TPA is like the airport you'd fly out of. So I was wondering, I was like, are you from Tampa? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually annoying that um, we were trying to buy TPA.com mm -hmm. and it's a company called the Property Angels and they were not returning my emails. It was so frustrating. So we had to go, oh, we've got to go the hyphen digital route here. <laughs> so for advertising, like right now, you know, I'm talking to you. Some people would call you an influencer. Uh, and there's a lot of influencer marketing out there. I'm personally starting to get the contracts when I interface with a company. They'll send you an influencer contract. I'm not a fan of the word because I'm Joel, yeah. and I was a software developer. I started a podcast, and I don't I don't see it as as influence necessarily. But I am curious. Like, have you seen 
this happening and people that are purchasing programmatic advertising? Are they working with influencers? How are they doing that? In the sort of business to business sense, it's a little bit gray. So there are definitely some people who I know are paid by other companies to write certain content and promote them. And it's not really disclosed. So for example, there'll be some senior people within the industry who are on the boards of other companies and it's not known on the board, but they're writing about them, talking about them at events. That is influencer marketing, whichever way you want to dress it up. And I think often when we talk about influencer marketing, we think about kind of the reality TV shows, TV stars on Instagram. You know, got these huge number of followers and promote any product for sort of any price. I think that the, the world of influencer marketing is, is changing in that it's the quality starting to improve. Um, so if you look at what Instagram have done and Twitter are doing, really sort of authenticating the follower counts, making sure that the followers are who they say they are. And I think it's now you're seeing this other sort of micro section of influencer marketing, which is professional based. And I'm seeing actually some, some interesting companies who are starting to specialize in that because, you know, I, I sometimes get approached to promote or endorse a specific company. And I mean, personally, I, I haven't, and I likely wouldn't unless I really believed it. But others might not know how to deal with that. And so there are some companies uh, who I know who are creating almost like a an advertising agency for professional influencers. But I think it I think it comes down to it's kind of secondary. I think you know you have to maintain your sort of professional integrity and make sure that um, you know. You're not like Cristiano Ronaldo, where he will promote anything on his Instagram and he's got such a big following, no one cares. Yeah. If you're a professional and you promote the wrong company and you haven't done your due diligence on that company, I think it will come back to haunt you in in a bigger way. Yeah. What's your favorite tools in your marketing stack? What do you like to use? I am obsessed by something called a demand side platform. And that's like the buying platform for programmatic primarily because it was one of the earliest ones that I used. So my background sort of prior to getting into advertising uh, was computing. Like I did a okay. B-Tech, in, I didn't do A-levels at school, I did a B-Tech, which is a dedicated course to computing. I went to university and focused on internet computing. And I got into advertising, just sort of stumbled in. And then when I first got access to the software, I was like, this is what it's about. This is like, I love like software and the internet and it connects all advertising from publishers to buyers. And so for me, and I, and over the years, I've learned how powerful those tools can be. And, you know, the, the likes of Google have a demand side platform, companies like Microsoft. Well, what is Trinidad. this? I don't understand this. This is new to me. A, a demand side platform is, um, it's a piece of software and it essentially connects advertising on websites and apps with advertisers and so you literally go in you put in your campaign criteria and you buy it's quite similar to to facebook but rather than buying on facebook or buying on instagram you buy from the guardian espn cnn cnbc um and it's like a marketplace for people to have traffic right 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 very similar yeah there was a one in my town back back home where I'm from called Clickbooth. They were one of the larger ones and I got to 
to get to know them a little bit. But that's what they did. You would apply to be in their network and you would have a certain minimum ad spend and then you'd get access and you could post your ads and they'd get reviewed and then they could go off. To, is that what it's like? Yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah. there's it's about the, the, the two sides really of advertising, like the sell side and the demand side. So like publishers who have ads, they want them to reach as many buyers as possible. And as a buyer, you want to reach the right publishers as possible. And, you know, back in the day, you would pick up the phone and go, can I buy some ads for you for next month? And you can imagine how inefficient that is. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now, like a demand side platform can connect into like all these publishers and buy their ads and decide and optimize against all these variables in real time. And so whenever the, my entire career has been following the pro to progress of demand side platforms, um, I would say that they definitely kind of lend themselves more to bigger budgets and bigger spends. There are definitely some demand side platforms which have less kind of restrictions to use them. Um, but there's companies like the Trade Desk uh, who have had phenomenal success over the past sort of five years competing with Google in this space. And uh, yeah, and, and for me, that would be my number one answer to that is I love a demand side platform, love what you can do with it, how you optimize campaigns. That is so cool. Can you buy from Facebook or Instagram through those platforms or is it just the independence? It's it's primarily independence. I mean, when I first started, you could buy Facebook ads and you could buy YouTube ads. But then what Facebook have done over time is you can only buy them through their own buying platform, essentially. Some might think that might change. It could be seen as anti-competitive where the only way you can buy, buy Facebook is through Facebook. Whereas if you, if you want to buy, I keep saying ESPN because I was reading some news this morning about ESPN, but if, if you want to buy ESPN, uh, you could buy that through you know, 100 plus different companies. Um, so yeah, so for now you can't buy Facebook through other demand side platforms and you used to be able to, but the jury's kind of still out on whether in the future you will be able to again. So a lot of your work is focused on global brands who want to make a change people who are bold, but for your business, for marketing to them, you're using cold email, those types of tools as well, right? You don't use them for the clients or advise them for the clients, but because you're advising typically on branding strategies and spend, but for yourself to get new clients, what type of cold email tools do you like? Yeah, we we tend to use um, MailChimp to track some of our, our outreach. We don't do a ton so because of our product is so specific, and as I was saying, we've created this sort of sort of curated audience now who has a much refined, more refined segment. Um, we tend to use yeah, MailChimp for outreach and newsletters. We've also started using DocSend. So we, we used to send content to people, uh, PDFs and infographics. And we had no idea if really if they were actually engaging with it or how long for. And we started to use, you know, we started to create custom content. So... Uh, if we, I'll make some example up. If we were outreaching to Walgreens, we would write something about Walgreens and then some content for them. Rather than that just going into someone's inbox, we can now track if they click it, engage it on, in DocSend, what they're interested in. And because we've got a very influential decision maker who's pretty time poor, that kind of information for us really helps. If our target audience was much better, I'm sure we'd use uh, um, much bigger. I'm sure we'd use other tools, which are a bit more you know, fu- funnel based and you know, optimizing landing pages and call to actions and 
trying to get people through to a conversion. But the most, the, the primary goal for our advertising is people to be somewhat aware of us, but know that we know what we're doing. Uh, and that's basically what consultancy is about. And so it's very bespoke and custom. You're not just blasting out to thousands of, of people. No, no, yeah. not, any, not, not anymore. Not we anymore. To, we, did, <laughs> we did actually used to. And we were using tools like Lead Leaper to mm-hmm. find out contact addresses, um, using like LinkedIn pretty aggressively. But we, for, you know, for, for, for our purposes, because of what we sell is quite high ticket and the sales cycle is very, very long. It just wasn't very effective. Um, so now we, we tend to really target down into the audience that we really think should be buying our product and then sending them content that we think is that they should be interested in. Sometimes they're not, obviously, you know, most of the time. Yeah. But for us, that's been a, that's been a much more effective strategy in trying to set up a phone call or a, you know, a Zoom meeting. So if it were ESPN, get, let's bring it down to reality. Like if it were ESPN, what content would you send them through DocSend? So we would try to research if ESPN has said anything publicly recently about the future of that business. So let's say, for example, they start talking about uh, acquiring more sports rights. We would write some content around, we know your business is going through this. We know you need to acquire more customers in, who are sports focused to make sure your sports um, content proposition is going to be more viable. Here's some ways that we think you could do that with digital marketing. That Put that into like a, you know, a three to four page PDF you put in DocSend. And then you try to identify sort of the decision makers at the brands. You know, sometimes you end up with a, you know, sometimes the decision maker hasn't actually seen what the CEO has said recently. Or, you know, like, <laughs> like for example, we've just had this massive round of earnings from Q4 and all these big brands came out talking around you know, a bunch of initiatives they're doing. And we try and ladder what, what we can offer in digital marketing consultancy back to those and write the content and send it. And yeah, for, for us, you know, our, our main goal is like our, our KPI, I guess, is a phone call. Like we want to talk to you because if you talk to us and we understand you better, we think that's where you'll be able to recognize our value. Or if not, you know, come back to us in six months to a year uh, when you are ready. So you would call that an ABM strategy versus yeah. spray and pray. Uh, yeah, yeah. A- ABM is quite an interesting term because it's reasonably new. I mean, account-based mm. marketing is not something that's been around for you no know, ages and ages, really. So, yeah, that's what we've that's what we now tailor our approach to. I wanted to talk about. I'm watching the time here, but I wanted to talk about Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because you wrote a whole article about what he is doing in the advertising space, and I was hoping you could share that. Yeah, he's um, he is flipping things on his head, really. So. Now, as we're just talking about the gin brand and how they, you know, how, how do they grow? You know, how do you take a, a gin from, um, you know, a, an idea to like an actual sizable ch- a, a way of thinking? And it's marketing. I think Ryan Reynolds, you know, he wrote the reason why he set up his production company, the reason he's investing in all these brands is that he thinks he can do better marketing than people in those categories. And that's, that's pretty punchy. You know, some of these brands that, that he's competing with have been around for, decades and decades um but he's got such a big platform of followers he really understands his value as a brand himself like the comedy elements of what he does 
So, you know, you see he's invested in things like uh, uh, Mint, which is a sort of SIM card solution. Um, he's got a football club. He's got, you know, a bunch of, he's got a, funny enough, he's got a programmatic company called Mountain as well. They're like a demand side platform for TV ads. Um, so he's everywhere. And I think he's just worked out that if they can do better marketing than their competitors, they gain share. And I think he's proving that out every day through, through what he's doing with his products. And so, yeah, it's quite impressive. I think there's a lot that um, a lot of big established brands can really learn from how he's engaging with his audience and how he's doing marketing. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good trend to watch. Yeah, and it's brilliant foot in the door. I mean, if he needs capital to buy any of these, people will take his meetings all day. Um, yeah. Same with Ashton Kusher, really prominent tech investor. Like you wouldn't think, and then you start looking at his portfolio and his investments in tech, and it's almost like it's great that you're an actor, but come on and talk about tech investments. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's the same with I know Serena Williams has started a fund uh, for diverse owned diverse owned businesses, and. Yeah, it's incredible to see, uh, but it's taking what they know about audiences and their platforms and marketing themselves and how they've got to be, you know, household names and et cetera, et cetera, and applying that into category based, you know, products. And so, you know, the, the two worlds aren't that far apart. And I think there's a ton that these big established brands who've been advertising for decades can really learn and they've been disrupted and. Uh, yeah, I quite. I, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of a challenger. So every challenger brand, I'm like usually behind. I like the underdog, and uh, yeah, so it's good to see big companies being kept on their toes. What's your favorite ad that he's made, or things that he's done for advertising? There was one where he did it with Johnny Knoxville, and he was advertising. So, so his um, sort of programmatic tech company called Mountain, and he said that he could explain it quicker than Johnny Knoxville was eating like a really hot chili till he had some milk to cover. <laughs> and it was very funny. And it got it was on LinkedIn and Instagram and all his platforms. And it got tons of engagement. People loved it. And so it was just really balancing something funny, but really simplifying what his product was doing. And uh yeah, it was yeah, that was definitely one of them for sure. I gotta watch that. Josh, we gotta oh wait, he's got it. He's gonna show oh, it here. Here we go. Is this it? I think yeah, this is, this is it. it. Oh, sorry, yeah, Steve. Yeah, it was Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Steve? They're all okay. the same. They're yeah. the guys that hurt themselves. That is great. Yeah, and that cost him like nothing because Steve is doing it for the publicity. It might might have done a little something, but it, it works for everybody there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And also it's just, um, it's content you want to wa want to watch, right? Like yeah. one of the things that the ad industry always gets is that the advertising itself, it just isn't very interesting or engaging. Oh. Um, whereas content like that, you wouldn't even consider that advertising necessarily, but it is. And, uh, that's where I think advertising, uh, really works. That's where people really engage the brand. They go to the website, they find out more because they, the ad itself is, is interesting. Yes. And that's what we call gummy vitamins. So <laughs> my kids, right, they're not going to eat vitamin pills, but they dress them up as these Disney characters and they make little gummies out of them and they put the vitamins in there and they taste good. And it's you're getting your vitamins. Uh, and so we, when we make ads or do things like that, we always try to figure out like, what's the gummy vitamin yeah. version of this? Yeah. Yeah. I find it also, it's interesting within podcasts, advertising specifically, which you know, it's a growing field in itself, the sort of balance between 
sort of host read ads versus sort mm. of third party served in ads. And I feel like the experience with podcasts is so personal. It's literally in your ears, like you're listening to it a very different way. And so you feel like you know, advertising relevancy is super important. You don't, you know, as a podcast creator, one bad ad you serve in there to a bunch of people is going to really put them off the podcast. And so I think the ad experience itself with podcasts is so important. And I think that's where you know, digital kind of lost its way a bit, where websites were really overcrowded with ads, too intrusive. And now they're working, it's working its way back. But podcast advertising kind of take the learnings from that and don't do the bad practices that digital had and do the good thing, do the good things well. Yeah, the way we did it, we got laughed at when we started and they said we'd never make any money. Now we make over a million dollars a year and we don't run any ads on our show. And people always ask me, like, how do you do that? And I said, well, we sell content. So we'll go to a brand and say, hey, we'll make you clips that are interesting, that you know have your call to action. And then we'll make all this digital content for you. And we'll do it through the act of having you on as an interview and asking you these questions and being on the show. And that way the audience gets value, the brand gets value, and everybody is super happy. And I also don't let uh, brands on the show that I don't actually like. So yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Con- going content marketing in general, like you know, providing value to a consumer through content, which is what Ryan Reynolds is doing, right? Like in a slightly different way. Um, yeah, it's a really good way to, to grow your brand and grow your audience at the same time. Yeah. Man, this is great, Wayne. I feel good. What else do we need to get out there to the world? Go use TPA Digital. Definitely. If you just, if you just need some digital marketing advice... Yeah come to us. The contact form's really easy to find on the homepage. Um, what else? Well, it's interesting. I think just in general, it's a great time to be in advertising. You know, obviously everyone's suffered through pandemic and economic, economic reasons, but the ad industry is cleaning itself up in digital and it's getting to a much better place where advertising is going to really work for consumers and really work for brands. And it's why you're seeing companies like Netflix now, not just in a subscription model, but also introducing advertising in some countries. And so, yeah, it's a good time to be, to be in advertising for sure. Well, I'm super glad that I met you. Now I will bother you randomly with my advertising and marketing questions. So I hope that's all right. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear, discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.